Welcome to Disability Inc., a podcast by Include NYC. My name is Caitlin Rowe, and I'm a family educator here at Include NYC. And today I'm thrilled to dive into some issues um, on siblings of persons with disabilities with our guest, Rachel Simon. Uh, Rachel is the award-winning author of six books and a nationally recognized uh, public speaker on issues related to diversity and disability. Her titles include the bestsellers, The Story of Beautiful Girl, and Riding the Bus with My Sister. Rachel's work has been adapted for theater, NPR, the Lifetime Channel, and Hallmark Hall of Fame, whose adaption of Riding the Bus with My Sister starred Rosie O'Donnell and Andy McDowell and was directed by Angelica Hudson. Rachel Simon's awards include the American Book Award from the Before Columbus Foundation and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Tommy G. Thompson Recognition Award for contributions to the field of disability. And Rachel is a sister to Beth, a woman with an intellectual disability who we meet in her book, Riding the Bus with My Sister, and who truly captures your attention with her personality and outlook on life and relationships. Rachel, um, being a, a sibling of a young man with autism myself, I'm so excited to speak with you today. This is great. It's wonderful to meet you. And, you know, we're, I, I know you're going to be airing this after we're taping it. But we are taping this on April 12th, which is, is only two days after National Sibling Day. So it's incredibly appropriate that we're taping this today. Yeah, so shout out to siblings then um, all around the world and, and kind of the relationships we all have together, right? Yep. Well, and especially special siblings. I wouldn't have known about National Sibling Day if it wasn't for the sibling support movement uh, for like you and me, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, they championed that the sibling day because for people like you and me, it's uh, it's a regular sibling relationship, and it's so much more than that. And it's going to go from the the moment that sibling comes into your life until the moment one of you uh, goes into the great beyond, it's, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. cradle to grave, and that's not really the way a lot of other sibling relationships go. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are um, so many different components uh, that go above and beyond a typical sibling relationship. And like you said, Rachel, we're going to be involved in our siblings' lives and probably be the longest relationship in their, over the course of their lifetime. So um, it's incredibly important for them and for us to, to kind of talk about these things and um, and, and, and for the parents, and for parents who are so worried, you know, what's going to happen to my child when I'm gone. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think it's good for parents to recognize the similarities we have with them, but the differences, too. And oh, absolutely. To be kept in mind. Yeah, definitely. So how, how did the book come about? How did, how did writing The Bus with My Sister come about for you? Um, okay, well, uh, I'm going to have to do a lot of kind of stage setting here. So um, my sister and I are two out of four kids, mm -hmm. and we were all born in the late 50s and early 60s, so we're a different generation than you. Um, and it was a very crucial time in um, what was going on in America for people with intellectual disabilities because we'd had a, uh, over 150 years of... Um, kind of the default support offered to families being institutions. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And my family was very opposed to that when my sister got mm-hmm. diagnosed, um, which was when she was about a year old. Mm-hmm. And so she was raised with the family, um, which certainly was not universally true. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were also just coming out of a time when, aside from institutions, people with disabilities were just not seen in public and were not expected to be seen in public and there wasn't any mandate for uh, education so people mm-hmm. might be denied the ability to go to school. Yeah. Uh, my sister is only 11 months younger than I am, mm-hmm. so I have never known life without her. Yeah. And that's, if I may just sort of insert very quickly, one of the things that uh, has always struck me about um, one of the frequent differences between being a sibling and being a parent is parents had a before in their lives mm-hmm. and then transitioned into the world of disabilities and disability services mm-hmm. um, and perceiving the world very differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. for a lot of siblings, and particularly one like myself, where you know I was 11 months old, um, there's no before. Right, and yeah. So you don't transition, but you also don't grieve. And a lot of parents go into a grieving period, but for me, it's this is life. This is ordinary life. Disability is part of ordinary life. Um, it's just another nobody, piece of the, you know, like fabric of diversity within society. It was just, it was always there, ever present. You didn't think about it, right? right. It, it wasn't until right. we got older, at least for me, that I started to really think about that, um, that element. Yeah, and you realize, by the way, other people behave around you and your sibling that mm-hmm. they don't understand what you just get. Right. And that creates a, a weird situation where you're kind of translating for your sibling. You're translating the world for them and them for the world, mm-hmm. and you're standing up to the bullies and taking responsibility but you're also recognizing it's, it is one world. This is just another way to be. Mm-hmm. And other people don't acknowledge that and maybe put your sibling into a sort of not quite human category. So you got a lot of extra emotions to deal with and a lot of like totally in your face awareness of injustice and um, mm-hmm. really bad historical precedents mm-hmm. to Mm-hmm. Uh, have their hold on people. But to get back to how I got to this book, because yeah. I, I don't want to stray too far. Um, <laughs> we'll get into so all I, of it. <laughs> I, know, I know. So I started writing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was one of those kids. And um, so I started writing. And I liked writing about characters with disabilities. My teachers didn't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I reached young adulthood and got to the point of trying to start submitting work to publishers, what I was finding was the publishers were not interested, and so oh. I ended up writing about other things. Mm-hmm. And so my, I published a few books, and they, um, I, I a couple times touched on the topic, but mostly not. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't anything that was like associated with me, right? Until my fourth book, or what became my fourth book, which was writing the bus with my sister. And uh, during those many years. Um, I, let's see, when did I start writing the bus? Oh, I was in my very late 30s. And mm-hmm. um, and during that time, so as I mentioned, my sister had been raised in the family and we had a lot of drama that, you know, maybe n- not having to do with her, but mm-hmm. having to do with my parents' marriage and divorce mm-hmm. that, you know, if relevant, we'll go into and otherwise we can skip and people can read the book. 
Um, and uh, it's very good, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, and my sister continued living with the various iterations of the family until her late twenties, mm -hmm. and then at that point, she moved into a group home for. Mm -hmm five years and then was offered the opportunity by the um, agency that provides her support. And this is in a medium-sized city in central Pennsylvania that will mm -hmm. go unnamed. Mm -hmm. um, she was offered the opportunity to live in a supported independent living situation where she could have her own apartment. And the family really was opposed to this and fearful for her safety and everything. But right. she was very insistent. She's very strong-willed. And, and I'm sure um, she was excited about it. Yes, and she really hated the group home and um, hated having to live with people not of her choosing. I mean, kind of, I think, the way anybody would be and, you know, people telling her what to do. And, mm -hmm. Right. Um, so once she was living on her own, though, she, employment hadn't been working for her, which we also might get into. And she came up with this idea all on her own to start riding the buses in mm -hmm. that city, but not just like to get around, but to cultivate the community of people on the bus. And she started, she remembers the exact day it started, she could give you the date, um, and she started riding bus to bus to bus to bus to bus mm -hmm. um, from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. Oh, wow. And six days a week, except on Sundays when the buses in her city don't run. And, and um, cultivating these friendships with the drivers and, and to some extent the passengers, but mostly the drivers mm -hmm. and, um, and just fostering this whole like life of incredible independence and freedom and, and friendship. Mm -hmm. And the family was very uh, upset and opposed and we wanted her to do something um, conventionally productive, like to yes. our minds that meant have a job. And right. She was not pushing that. So that made us mad at them. Right. There was a lot of anger and mm -hmm. conflict. Mm -hmm. And after, um, but I really loved my sister, and I was very upset with feeling angry with her a lot. Right. And I'm sure she didn't like it either. Uh, and after several years of this, mm -hmm. and um, it being something I didn't reveal to people because I was kind of embarrassed, um, mm -hmm. an editor did find out that I had a sister with disabilities and she rode buses all the time. And this editor actually had the wherewithal to recognize that this is actually something not to be ignored. And he right. assigned me to ride with her for a day and write an article about it, and which I did reluctantly. And when I had that day, I saw just how really happy she was right. and how really interesting mm -hmm. all the drivers were and each friendship was unique and fulfilling in its own way and I wrote the article I felt joy and remorse and I mm -hmm. wrote the article and came out in the newspaper and then other newspapers and um and I thought that was the end of it but a few weeks later my sister invited me to her annual plan of care meeting mm -hmm. and um I didn't know what that was and so your sister had never me. invited you before then that would be correct oh. and the people who were sitting around at the at the table you know, they kind of shook my hand and said, hi, I'm Beth. Blah. I mean, they might as well have been speaking in Greek. Right. I didn't know. I don't know what a case so, manager is. I don't so know what many acronyms, too. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know what any of it is. I didn't even realize there were two different organizations there. One was her agency and one was in Pennsylvania. There are county organizations that oversee the agencies. 
Mm -hmm. So really it was them who had called the meeting to make sure the agency was providing proper services. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know direct support professionals. Like, I didn't know any of the term. I didn't know anything. And Mm -hmm. my sister didn't want to be there anyway. And so, like, it's like they had their meeting in gobbledygook, and we're on the other side of the room. And anyway, we get through the meeting, and at the end of the meeting, she starts running to the bus. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, we're going to go ride the bus. And I said, I I did that. I wrote the article. It came out. It's done. And she said, no, no, just ride with me for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I was going to take you to lunch. She said, no, just ride a little while. And I said, how long? And she said, a year. And I was like, what? Just a little. (laughs) Right. And I think it came out because we just had the annual plan of Gotcha. Oh, that's the connection. A year. I think. I mean, she never has. Time is a concept. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I was not interested in this. I mean, part of that was how angry I was with her a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. um, which we can also return to. But but part of it was, you know, you have a life and it's a few hour drive from me. But I was also really tired of feeling angry and upset with her all the time. Yeah. So I said, well, I can't ride with you every day. And, of course, being my sister, she said, I don't want you to ride with me every day. And, um, you know, honesty. <laughs> and, and so I Usually said, I'll come. siblings I'll are come pretty honest. Years. Well, exactly. I said, I'll come a few times uh, a month. Because mm-hmm. I figured I could kind of work that out. I had a bunch of part-time jobs and that I could pull that off. And she said, okay. And the bus showed up. And we got on the bus. And, and then we did it. And mm-hmm. so... Partway into this riding with her, um, I started being very captivated by the bus drivers mm-hmm. who were really colorful characters and, you know, a lot of them were really good to her, but in each in his or her own way, mm-hmm. and yeah. some were not. Yeah. And, and that's and real I, life too, right? Some... And that is real life. But she was good at kind of picking out, you know, the good ones and choosing to ride with them. And I started thinking that maybe writing something about them and then this led to a book proposal and then Mm -hmm. when a publisher bought the book they didn't really want it to be about the bus drivers they wanted it to be about my sister and me Mm -hmm. on in this context and then of course to tell that story I had to tell the whole story of our lives from you know her birth to Mm -hmm. when we were 39 and 40 and riding the bus and um so that's really where the book came from but I I need to say another piece of it, which is I, I wasn't really sold on the idea of writing about mm-hmm. her because yeah. of my anger toward her and um, the, and all of the really, really difficult emotions that I always had with her. I mean, always since we've been adults and, mm-hmm. and this right. like ongoing struggle of um, I'm such a bad sister. I'll never be a good sister. Right. I feel so much guilt. Mm-hmm. All of that, and um, and we had like a uh, almost at the end of the year, we had mm-hmm. this giant blow up, which I ended up writing about in the book. Where um, I I asked, I spent the night, and she was not very hospitable, and I mm-hmm. had to bring all my food and all my everything, and so I spent the night, and I asked if I could take uh, a shower at her place. She said, mm-hmm. "If you want," and I said can I borrow a towel? <laughs> and she said, I can't stop you. 
And I said, that's not a really nice thing to say. That is not, yeah. Say, yes. Yes. And yeah. she repeated it. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, repeated that same tone. And, that, and I was so mad. I mm-hmm. said, I hate you, which is like the worst thing to say to another person. But particularly someone you, you don't hate, mm-hmm. except when you do. And, um, and obviously she looked stricken and I felt terrible. Right. And I went home, and I called up a friend who knew the publishing industry, and I said to her, this was actually, it was Thanksgiving weekend, mm-hmm. so um, there were going to be several days until uh, the, uh, the, the industry was up and running on Monday. Right. And I called my friend, and I said, on Monday, I'm going to call the publisher and tell them I'm out of this book project, I'm done with it, and they mm-hmm. have to... Um, I'll give them back their advance. I, I, I can't do this book. And she said, why? And I said, well, I just told my sister I hate her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, you know. Yeah, like, I don't want to write that in a book. <laughs> right. I don't want to write that in a book. I don't want to feel it. I don't want people right. to see me that way. Right. I don't want people to see her that way. But and it's such a real emotion. Exactly. And that's what my friend said. She said, but that's exactly why you have to write mm-hmm. it. And she said, look, give yourself the four days till Monday you make up your mind but that's exactly why you and you know when she said that what struck a chord with me and I'm sure would with you and everyone who's listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. is when you are involved with the world of disabilities whether you have a disability or you're a family member you're so aware that most books and movies Mm -hmm. and media portrayals are so filled with cliche right stereotypes and how it, it would enrage me when I was a kid, you know, all of, I mean, if you even saw anybody, which you so rarely did, mm-hmm. it was such an inaccurate representation, and people would be treated like God's little mm-hmm. angel, yeah. you know, and I'd want to say, yeah, try share in a bedroom of God's little angel, Absolutely. you know, try Absolutely. that. Oh, yeah, so, I, I, you know, you touch on so many great things, and I think you're yeah, right sorry. about, oh, no, they're wonderful, I was like, I'm, I'm excited to talk um, with, with you and kind of get into some of these, and, and I think you're right about, um, sort of, I didn't grow up at a time in which, you know, institutionalization was still a thing, um, you know, I, that wasn't even something I learned about until much later in life, um, that there, that, you know, someone like my brother maybe wouldn't have grown up at home. That was just such a a common thing. But I think being sort of the expert amongst my peer group on disability and specifically, you know, my brother has autism, uh, was very much something of my generation, at least. This was back growing up in a small town in Nebraska when, when autism didn't have the same media coverage it has today. Um, You know, people didn't, really know that much about it. They didn't really know the term autism. And I remember being kind of a second and third grader um, trying to explain to my little peer group being the expert on sort of disability and that my brother has autism and ooh, what is autism? That's this big word for, you know, a a nine-year-old to use. Um, And kind of having to to be that uh, banner holder in some ways and kind of continually educate people about disability around me, um, which in some respects felt really comfortable and easy, because like you said, we're different than their parents. Like, I just always grew up with it. There wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any other world I knew. Um, But it sometimes was really difficult because, 
you do start to learn and see other people's behavior towards your sibling. Um, and I think you touched on a really good one about embarrassment. And I think a lot of our, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our community um, can really relate to, you know, especially when we were younger, some of that embarrassment that comes out because of the stigma that still exists around disability. Um, and because our, our siblings may look different or act different. Um, and you're associated with them in that way. And, and there, there can definitely be times that are embarrassing and some of them are, are somewhat justified. Um, you know, with my brother, uh, he really liked stripping totally naked and had, had, uh, no fear of doing that in public at any point in time. I think he would be very happy in, a nudist community. <laughs> he really. And did he recognize that other people didn't do this? Or I mean, no, I don't know if no, it. no sense of it. No sense of shame. Um, he just, especially in the summer, really enjoyed uh, being naked, um, and and just didn't care. I mean, I remember being embarrassed at having sleepovers when my little brother would like run out of the bathtub or the shower just completely naked in front of like all of my friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, rush him back. Uh, there was another time that he, um, you know, we grew up in our, our elementary school was only two blocks walking distance from our home, our childhood home. And uh, my older brother, uh, was in sixth grade at the time and he was one of the safety crossers so he had the vest and would like help you know the younger grade school kids cross the street with his safety vest and you know it's it's at the time when when my my little brother was only I think in kindergarten so he only had half days or whatever and he had somehow slipped past my mom and walked the two blocks to our elementary school completely naked Right? Oh. At like 3 p.m. in the afternoon, right oh. in front of my older brother. <laughs> oh, no. Right, right as the entire school was dismissed. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, so you my, can laugh now. <laughs> my poor older brother <laughs> yeah. took off his sweatshirt, wrapped it around my brother. <laughs> and walked him the two blocks back home um but yeah that's that I I can laugh now we all laugh at this memory now but uh but yeah when your Thomas was in was in sixth grade I was in fourth grade when that happens to you at those those years you're just mortified absolutely mortified um did you have and any you moments also, oh I had a lot of moments but you're also mortified and how other people are behaving. Yeah. And 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 what do you do to intervene, mm -hmm. or do you not? Mm -hmm. And every day is like a crucible of mm -hmm. you know, do I like call someone out for laughing at the special ed class walking down the hall? Right. Um, you know, or you know, there's the kid in the special ed class, let's say, who's rules, and mm -hmm. that wouldn't phase me, that wouldn't phase you, who right. cares, right. but people react, I, I'll tell you, I just had something happen, I've forgotten this, but like a week ago I saw my sister, we were, mm -hmm. we were in our late 50s, and we were in a mall, mm -hmm. 
And there was a guy, my sister was walking ahead of me, and there was a guy who, I'm guessing he was in his late 20s, early 30s. I mean, we're not talking a kid. Mm -hmm. And he started mimicking her and walking along next to her, uh, pretending he was her, like with her posture and everything, to make a friend laugh, his friend laugh. And and he kept looking over at his friend to get a laugh, and the friend wasn't laughing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, all right, do I run up to this jackass and say, <laughs> right. you got a problem? Right, yeah. Or do I let Beth tell him? Mm-hmm. You know, do I let my mm-hmm. sister Beth tell him off? Mm-hmm. And you know what happened? She just ignored him and continued on. His friend didn't laugh, so his friend didn't give him the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he left. And I am hoping... You know, he left and started to feel some shame, and maybe that ends up being better than if I had tried to publicly shame him. But I don't mm-hmm. want to have to deal with that at all. Right, and right. you and I, every day of our lives, mm-hmm. we have to face that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's—I think that goes to your, you. You know, when you were talking about how your book came about, the kind of the exposure we have, and and thinking about the diversity that. Um, exists in humanity and and disability being one piece. I mean, it was just so, it was just such a part of everyday life. And then as I got older and started to recognize that, you know, my brother was was different and that not everyone is different. Um, But then I got to look at other types of differences. And I think I just am a much more like open and empathetic person because of my brother um, and because of the experiences we had together as a family um, and just really enjoy and appreciate um, everyone's differences and in who I kind of interact with, who I get to spend time with. Uh, it, I just really appreciate that in a way that I don't know I, I would have had I not grown up with my little brother. And thank goodness. You never have to look in the mirror and see someone who isn't the empathetic person you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to confront the, that what if. You, mm-hmm. you you got the better what if. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, which actually, if I can sort of jump to, if there are parents listening to this um, podcast, um, one of the things when I do talks is um, parents will often ask me things, it, particularly if their children are younger, um, well, how do I raise the typical sibling or sibling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that they feel a sense of responsibility toward their brother or sister? Or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so usually yeah. it's that kind of a question. And, um, well, we're going to feel it anyway. You know, uh, you don't really have to say anything, but, you know, you get into these sort of bigger questions of, mm-hmm should a typical sibling feel they have to take responsibility and that it gets into something bigger that we, we don't really need to go into right now. But right. I think one of the things that's really key is, yeah, it's not so easy for the parent. It's not so easy for the sibling. There's mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. be imbalances in the energies a parent can give and, and there's going to be a lot of supports mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. to the child with special needs and not the typical child, right. and there might be resentment. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also so many benefits 
and among them things we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a, a couple of other things are worth mentioning. And one is, um, I mean, kind of the, the kind of negative way to put it, but then I'll say the positive way is um, the negative way to put it is when you're a sibling, you you're extremely aware of mortality, mm-hmm. uh, very right. young, because you know when mommy and daddy are gone, you're it, and yes. you know that, and you mm-hmm. may be perfectly fine with that, or you may be perfectly fine with that at certain times and not at others, and right. I think that's that's more common, and the good thing about that is that you do start looking at reality young, and you start being responsible young and mm-hmm. um, not like I would look at people in high school and college like you know goofing around and mm-hmm. drinking and not like planning for the future and not saving money and not just being responsible right yeah and and, and not like it wouldn't be remotely a part of you that you would tease someone like mm-hmm. and you would stand up for the person who is being like you would like you wouldn't even mm-hmm. think about those things and that you don't have to transition to any of that that you have a social conscience and it's strong mm-hmm. and you know those are yeah. you you understand what it would mean for some for one of those bad words to be said that put down a whole group mm-hmm. of people so yeah. you would never say them about any group of people right oh yeah absolutely and i think you touched on the great the you know something i looking back really value and and think has benefited me over and over and over again, which is, yeah, there was a little bit more responsibility growing up. I had to help out with my little brother. I had to help out around the house because my parents really couldn't manage it. You know, there were four of us kids, one, you know, who had all of these extra needs and quirks and everything else. And that was a lot to handle. And, And being an older sibling, I just was expected to help out. But that sense of responsibility, I think, has just benefited me over and over and over again. I was definitely the mother hen in in high school, even Mm -hmm. more so in college. Um, And I think it's something that I've really taken in as part of my own personality. And I'm sure other siblings um, in their own reflections probably feel a similar way. But I, I sort of like, you know, hosting and and taking care of people and like sort of having that extra responsibility in some sense um socially as well as at work being kind of a a more driven uh person in that way i think a lot of that comes out of those expectations early on um Mm -hmm. you actually have this really great memory in the book too uh, because it's not all like uh you know a little bit of extra caregiving. Sometimes it can be, uh, I think, a little scary. Some of the situations that pop up um, when you're younger. You have a, you have a great story you tell about Beth and paint. If you want to kind mm-hmm. of give the listeners yeah. a little bit of that. Well, this was in um, back in the early '60s. There was something called Paint by Number, where um, it you could uh, it was for adults, and mm-hmm. you could buy like this kit where it was. Um, my number and so you would it would come with all the oil paints and everything mm-hmm. and put up the campus paint well but my mother did those and it was like one of the few ways that she was able to kind of get a break from all the you know being a parent of four little kids and mm-hmm. um and and the marriage being rocky 
and um, and one day my sister drank the oil paint. So I guess she might have thought they yeah. were cups of juice or something. I don't know. But like immediately, you know, you're in this total mm-hmm. emergency mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. being rushed to the hospital, mm-hmm. and the ho- and you know you don't know if she's going to survive, and you know these these things happen. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, you've had yeah. stuff like this. Oh yeah, it that story completely resonated from me. I like dog eared that page immediately because I was like, oh my goodness, I remember. You know, um, we we grew up in kind of a more rural area, um, and my family still has farmland and still farms, and so we we used to go spend time with like my grandparents and my aunt and uncle on the farm. And you can imagine all of the chemicals that are accessible in that space as you're letting kids kind of run around the barnyard and everywhere else and kind of get dirty, which was great growing up. Um, but also meant we had to be a little more vigilant with my brother because he, um, something called like picus where you, you have to eat everything and a lot of things and, and kind of have that that need to put things in your mouth. Um, he had that, he had that growing up. And so he used to swallow all kinds of things. Um, and so we just had poison control basically on speed dial, (laughs) which I, again, I can laugh about it now because he's okay. And everything was totally fine at the end of the day, but was, I just remember, you know, kind of that cycle of my mom being panicked, calling, rushing to the hospital, um, you know, just all of those things were definitely something that also, you know, weaved its way through my childhood and kind of, um, you know, definitely weaved its way into my character in some sense too, and being able to kind of manage crisis situations and, um, and all of that, I think kind of weaved its way we've just way throughout, um, these like different threads we're kind of touching on. Um, and then also again, kind of spoke to the responsibility piece. So if, if mom's rushing my little brother off to the emergency room, my little sister was still around. So who, who was watching her and taking care of her, um, as my mom was taking care of my, my little brother. So, um, definitely had to kind of play a role in all of that too. Did you have two parents, um, available or, or was your mother a single parent? Oh, so yeah, uh, no, my, my, um, my parents raised us together, but my dad worked full time and my mom Mm -hmm. didn't work for a while when we were younger. Um, and then only went back to work as a teacher part time. Um, when my little brother, who's the youngest in the family, um, when he started to go back to, when he went to school full-time, that's when my mom went back to work part-time. So she, she was kind of the primary caregiver in that respect. And so a lot of the trouble we got into, um, in, you know, after school and, and on the weekends and in the summers, it was really kind of my mom kind of trying to wrangle all of us, I guess you could say. Because <laughs> uh, there were a lot of us, just like there's four of you guys. There were four of us. So we mm-hmm. were, and we we like to be involved in everything. So we were kind of all over the place um, and got to living in a small town, really got to run around a lot more um, as a result. Yeah. Which I think there's like a lot of advantage to both there being several 
feelings and um, kind of freedom of mobility. Um, the, mm-hmm. my, the first, I guess, six years of my sister's life and seven years of mine, mm-hmm. we, we lived in like a suburban uh, neighborhood where it, there were a lot of kids and, and people hung out mm-hmm. and um, it was safe and, it, you know, kids played together. And to this day, if I run into somebody from that neighborhood, which you know I rarely do, but mm-hmm. on the occasions when I do, they'll always say, how's Beth? And, and, you know, Beth was the only kid in the neighborhood with an intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. But I do remember down the street, there was um, a girl who lived with a single mother. I don't mm-hmm. know what had happened to the father. And her mother had MS. So mm-hmm. she was okay. helping her mother. And she was just a few years older than, than we were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember that. And I'm sure there were a few older people who had, you know, what we would now call Alzheimer's and, you know, you'd like to see them behind the window, but they weren't coming out. Mm-hmm. And, but it was just, I think everybody who grew up with us would kind of view it as, yeah, you know, that was just, you know, it's just, it's a normalized experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be around people with some kind of disability or, or some kind of difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I I think uh, there's kind of a growing recognition, um, and uh, just the more places I live, it's it's been interesting to see how much more um, younger generations have been exposed to um, individuals with disabilities or exposed to kind of talking about disability um, and differences like that. So. It's it's kind of been nice to see that, Um, absolutely. I do want to say one thing that's just sort of been kind of nudging at me. Yeah. Um, I I do want anybody listening to recognize that though you and I are extolling virtues of being a typical sibling, um, I do know some people who had a really rough time and Mm -hmm. um, really wanted to get away and live a separate life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want to um, encourage any guilt. I, each person has their own experience. But Absolutely. the big thing that I've seen play out a lot is the way the typical sibling has the experience has so much to do with how the parents are handling mm-hmm. what, it, what it means to have a child with mm-hmm. a disability and what is the role that the typical sibling has? And I think if you and I, sometimes we were kind of pressed into service, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time we did it voluntarily. Oh, yeah. And, and out of love. And I think when it's that way, the relations are much more likely to be very positive, uh, even if, like in my case, it took many years for mm-hmm. it to kind of get to that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I and uh, but I I do know siblings where it was things like you know uh, if you're going out with your friends you need to bring Jimmy along well I don't want to bring Jimmy well you mm-hmm. have to because he doesn't have friends or right. Jimmy peed, peed the bed mommy does that every night well it's your job to change the sheets every night mm-hmm. and you know that's you know a sibling isn't an aide or a servant or. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. special ed teacher, right? Um, and I think that's a tough one for parents. And it's not like anyone's going to do it perfectly. But I think the the more disability is just seen as a form of diversity, mm-hmm. and the typical siblings' range of emotions are um, acknowledged and respected. 
respected mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, yeah. not, you know, you're wrong to feel that way, you know, not that. Um, I think the, the better the adult relationships will be and the, the less inclined somebody is going to be to want to run away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes things do go that way. So I, I don't want anybody to feel, um, I don't know, that they're not being fully included yeah. in, in this conversation. I think that's important to say. Oh, yeah. And I think I thank you for saying that, too, because I think relationships with siblings are going to be unique to everyone, right? Like, I, I'm one of four. You're one of four. Um, the relationship, relationship I have with each of those siblings is going to be unique and different. Um, and, I, yeah, I do think the family dynamics, the parental uh, dynamics to how my parents interacted with each of us individually, as well as us in our various groups and formations growing up, um, kind of had all of that. And then a little bit of the personality too, right? Like, you know, maybe my personality was always going to be one that tended to be kind of caring and empathetic and mother honey. But, um, but maybe not, who knows? Um, it's kind of that what if that we'll never know. And, and to all of the siblings who are potentially listening to this, like, you know, you, you have to do what's, what's right for you and what's best for kind of you and your relationship and also your own self, um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, two more things just so people can leave feeling they could immediately pursue resources. Mm-hmm. Um, before this, before the next part two of this podcast, yeah, um, it, there's there's now quite a growing body of literature, um, both fiction and nonfiction, like like riding the bus, which is nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, about the sibling experience. And I think for both parents and siblings to read um, a range of them, and some are better than others, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's really important. And you'll recognize yourself in a lot of those stories or in bits of those stories, and you'll recognize things that you don't want to do um, or things you could do better. And, and so I, I, that wasn't available to me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but right. Um, right, writing the bus ended up being one of the kind of door openers for, for that whole body of literature, and there's been a lot since then. So yeah. I, I, I hope people just check that out, and they have them both for kids and for adults. And then the other thing is there's two major organizations that provide sibling support mm-hmm. and education for siblings of all ages. And I'll just mention them now and people can look them up. One is called the Sibling <clears throat> Support Project. Yes. And uh, Google it. You'll, you know, get all the information you need. They're great. And the other is the Sibling Leadership Network. Mm-hmm. And these are national organizations. They have overlapping um, membership. You don't have to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have slightly different mandates. Mm-hmm. And they're excellent and fabulous, and everyone you'll meet through them is wonderful. And it's really enhanced my life enormously mm-hmm. to um, meet the siblings I've met through those organizations. Yeah, they're they're really incredible. I agree with you. They're incredible resources, and I think it's valuable for parents as they're trying to be a parent not only to the child. Uh, with a disability, but also to um, their other kids as well. And then also, you know, being a sibling myself, having gotten plugged into both of those, just um, really getting to find that support, um, especially uh, with people who have common common experiences and, and common 
feelings throughout all of this. So it's, it's been really nice to get plugged in. And I think those are wonderful resources. Thanks for sharing them. You are welcome. And I guess now we will say we're getting off the bus for a little while and, um, <laughs> and we'll see everybody in part two. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you.